Amen. Thank you, family. And Michaela, appreciate that so very much. All right, grab your Bibles. We'll have you turn in just a moment. But for the meantime, grab your outline as we get into our, or our handout. Not much of an outline, actually. But grab your handout, if you will. We're getting back to our Christian character study. It's been since about last March that we were last here. And so for those who maybe have not been with us during one of these studies, we try to look at an example from nature and an example from the Scripture to teach a character quality. Now, tonight, as we look about it, uh, look into it and look about the characteristic trait that we have for us tonight, I really believe young people this will go a long way to help you be in a success in life and also fulfill uh, obviously God's plan for you to please him Uh, helping you to uh, really in a sense be able to serve the Lord and please him in many different ways Uh, well from the time that I was an earliest uh, early child young child uh, many of you probably remember it there was a patch the pirate song that has stuck in my head forever and it was simply entitled initiative Kind of catchy, isn't it? Initiative. And that's really what we're talking about tonight, as you see up here above me and then on the handout, that characteristic. Now, the question is, why initiative? Well, the reality is uh, it has been a characteristic that seems to have waned in people for quite a while now. Uh, It's not what it once was in the sense of people just don't have initiative like they once have. So young people, I encourage you, boy, teenagers uh, on down especially, would you listen up? This is something the boy, Lord's laid on my heart for some time, encouraging you to show initiative. Now, um, I want to share with you an article, several excerpts from an article. It was written by an unsafe person, as far as I know, uh, from a secular standpoint, by a gentleman who writes articles for entrepreneurs for large companies and a magazine and things like that. And in doing so, he was describing the issues that we have today with the lack of initiative and other things, and especially in hiring and things like that. And so notice what he says. Here's the article. One of the consistent complaints I hear from senior leaders in large companies is that today's young people, their youngest staff members, do not exhibit the type of characteristics they would hope to see in good employees. When pressed about this, the most common explanation is that today's young people lack initiative, proactivity, and common sense. Hmm. And if they really start moaning, senior leaders can add a few more other things to this list, like respect, time management, and communication. And he goes on, he says it's a classic example of a generation gap. Okay, I think that's a little bit of a cop-out. However, I would say this. I do think it is uh, a generational gap in some ways. You say, how is that? What, what has uh, kind of led us to this point? Well, I would submit to you that I believe it's a gap between a generation that was largely brought up and reared within a philosophy of parenting that valued sound principles. Many of those founded upon and derived from the Scriptures, even though some of those parents weren't Bible believers. Now, there's a huge gap between that generation and another generation that has come along and we bring up and rear within a philosophy that does not value principles as much as we value pragmatism and placation. Now, pragmatism and placation, that's kind of big words, what in the world does that mean? Pragmatism is what works. You've seen it in a store. Young person screaming and yelling, okay, what can I do? Whatever it takes to make them quiet. Stuff candy in their mouth, buy them a toy, whatever it is. Pragmatism. 
What's, what works? If I can just get every gun, if I'll just appease them and keep them quiet, if I can just sit them in front of the TV and give myself some time, I'll do it. So parenting that's governed by pragmatism and then placation, we just want to please the children. What the children the child wants, the child gets. And that has produced then, as we see, and even this secular man observes, uh, it, it produces now generations that have come along. Okay, uh, we'll explain. Notice what else he says. I think this is a great statement. The author goes on his article. He makes this similar point. He says, young people today mostly grew up in a world that was very structured and ordered. It's fascinating to watch how much hand-holding goes on at school these days. Not blaming the young people, though. It's more overbearing Generation X parents who don't want to leave anything to chance in how their children are raised. So teachers and parents have collaborated to ensure that, uh, to ensure that today's young people honestly don't really have to think for themselves at all. The adults always jump in quickly to solve problems or smooth things ahead of time to make sure no problems even emerge for today's kids. At school and university, students are given, quote-unquote, exam scope documents that lay out precisely what must be studied and exactly what will be on the next test. You know what I say to that? Ouch. Kind of just decries it. Now, again, this is not a blanket statement that's necessarily applying to everybody, but, but man, I read that and I think, gone are the days when some of us were in school and the teacher said, finish reading chapter 1 and 2, we'll have a test tomorrow. No review, nothing, you know, and just come ready, you know. And it's interesting, he's observing this, and now that's transpiring, coming into the workforce. He goes on to add, he says this, a young person saying, I'm bored, is responded to by an adult leaping up to solve the problem. Hmm. Mom and dad just kind of taking over and catering and coddling and everything else. And boy, it, it can steal initiative, Okay. And every day, these young people have been told how special they are. It's no wonder that today, or then that today's young people have grown up needing more structure than we're used to giving employees. Again, remember, he's talking to those uh, who who run companies and businesses, uh, needing more assurance and reviews than what we're used to supplying, needing more praise than we usually dish out, and not taking initiative using common sense or being proactive. Not as much as we'd like anyway. You know, some strong statements, but I think they are accurate statements. I've talked to many uh, entrepreneurs, those who uh, either own their own business or they work in a business where they do hiring, whatever the case may be, across the board. And it seems this is what we're running into. This is generations that are showing this. And to show you that neither I nor the author are simply coming down on younger generations, okay? So young people, we're not coming down on you. We're not, uh, per se, we're just saying, hey, we're exposing maybe some great need that is there. Notice what else he says. He goes, now don't think this is another moan about today's young people. It's not. But we do have to be honest that they've grown up as students in a world that was very structured, didn't require much initiative, and presented very few problems that they were then required to solve on their own. And now these young people come through the front doors of our companies as bright-eyed talent, and we expect them to suddenly exhibit behavior and characteristics they've never used before. So I say all that and uh, to say simply this. Hey, reality is some of you older folks and some who've been in business for quite a while and you've seen people hired all around you, maybe you do the hiring, whatever the case may be, many of you have agreed with what this man observes. And so tonight I think it's so crucial. Young people, can I encourage you? Can I challenge you tonight? To, can I really uh, strive to uh, alert your attention to develop initiative in your life? Initiative. 
You see that Patch the Pirate song. You remember it? I could sing it for you, but that'd be really bad. Here's the lyrics. I love the lyrics, okay? Dirty dishes in the sink makes me stop and makes me think. Wash them, dry them, wait for more. We need to do this chore. Initiative. That's the way to make us joyful every day. Initiative. See a task. Do it before you're asked. Wow. Man, I love the old Pastor Pirate songs. They teach a lot of good things. Amen. Hey, it goes on, second verse, candy wrappers uh, everywhere. Got a couple problems with that, amen. <laughs> everywhere. No one knows how the A got there. Pick up, clean up, work so fast, hurry, take out the trash. Then initiative, that's the way to make us joyful every day. Initiative, see a task, do it before you ask. And you want a definition of initiative, I think uh, Ron Hamilton got it right. That's a good demonstration, a description of what it is. And it fits great into what our definition is. If you look on your handout, well, we're going to, in the next several times we study initiative, here's how we're going to define it. Recognizing and doing what needs to be done before I'm asked to do it. Okay? And uh, recognizing and doing what needs to be done before I'm asked to do it. And as we do in each of these situations, when we take a characteristic, we define it, and then we ask over a, a series of four weeks, we ask, what does that look like? What does that look like? What does initiative look like? Tonight, we're going to see that initiative looks like this, okay? Expanding my world by exploring new areas of interest. Expanding my world by exploring new areas of witness of interest, excuse me, or we could add on there of need, of need. Now, it requires, and this is what we'll see tonight. Now, this is the key. You see, if I'm going to develop initiative, young people, if you're going to embrace it and develop initiative, can I tell you, it takes a willingness to look at things, to have your eyes open. It takes an openness to allowing your heart and mind to be moved, ah, be piqued about something, and a boldness to step forward in exploring it and attempting to meet it. It literally requires this, and uh, boy, I sometimes see this lacking in some generations, and maybe that's too all-inclusive. I, I see it lacking in some people. A lack of inquisitiveness. Curiosity, just a, a inquiring. Uh, there's an old saying, us old people, inquiring minds want to know. Hey, listen, there is something to be said with, what, how does that work? Well, let me ask questions. What is that? And try and just inquire some, some curiosity, inquisitiveness that leads to initiative or that certainly plays into it, an eagerness to look into something. It also requires a desire to learn new things. And I'll tell you, that's something else I see wanting. A desire to learn new things. To open our minds to something else and outside of my little comfort zone, outside of where I am in my life and so forth, we, we're not very open to it. And boy, that doesn't go well with showing initiative. I'm really worried, young people, if I could bear my heart this evening by a trend I see in younger generations of a lack of willingness to learn something new, a lack of initiative uh, to even look into something or to be stretched by trying new things. See, one of the delights of those of us who've taken a missions trip, boy, does it stretch you. Does it stretch you? 
And yet stretching leads to your capability of doing more. Yeah, you think of the muscles of your body. As you stretch and you, you use them in different ways, it builds you stronger. You can do more. And the same is true even with initiative. The idea of stretching us, getting us to try new things. I want to challenge you tonight, young people. If you fall under that category of an unwillingness to do so, I hope God speaks to you tonight. I hope he does. From nature, we're going to look at an animal <laughs> very well known to us today. You, most of us would probably consider it more as a pest than anything else. It is constantly exploring its world, constantly trying new things. It can be easily described as one of the most inquisitive and curious animals around. And it certainly shows a lot of initiative. Some of you may have guessed what it is. I'm going to describe it, and as we go along, you can see if you figure it out. Some of you, I'm sure, the sharp ones here who are still awake, um, have probably figured it out, okay? Well, first of all, they're, they, they've been known to live in a bank burrow, crevices in a rock, but their preferred home is the hollow of a tree. On bright, sunny days, it will frequently take what's called sun baths, in which it will stretch out in the topmost branches of a tree to soak up as much sun as possible. For some reason, I just kept thinking as I was studying this, there's going to be some young person here that tries to take sun baths instead of regular baths for, with mom, right? I took a sun bath today. Yeah, but that's what the animal does. It frequently does so. Tests have shown that it has a sense of hearing that is one of the most acute among animals. It also has a very good and heavily uses its sense of smell. For this reason, wind is actually an enemy of this animal because it reduces the ability to use those senses, both its hearing uh, and its smell. Also, because it has short legs, it's clumsy and slow in the deep snow. So either deep snow or windy days, it likes to stay in its den. When weather grows uncomfortably cold and food becomes scarce, that would be half the year in Michigan, amen, uh, it will enter into what is called a cold sleep. It's not true hibernation. It's a sleep that lasts several weeks at a time. It's not a true hibernator. It will awake and be active whenever the temperature arises. I don't know about you, but I sure would like to take some cold sleep sometime. Amen. A few weeks in the middle of January would not be a bad idea, but this animal likes to do it. Yeah, hey, if you, if you like feeding animals, the good news is this animal is not a picky eater. It eats both meats and vegetables, cooked or uncooked. It'll eat frogs, crayfish, fish, clams, poultry, corn, chestnuts, honey, and sugar, and especially liking those last two ones. Often in the summer and autumn, it'll gorge itself, and it has a very unique way of catching crayfish. It sticks its fingers in shallow creeks and rivers between the crevices of rocks and waits for the defensive crayfish to snap onto its fingers with its pincers, and in one swift motion, it pulls its prey out of the water and pops it into its mouth before devouring it. So a little pain is gain, amen, at least for the stomach. It also has special mirror cells in the eyes that are reflective cells situated in the rear of its head that allows it to see in partial darkness. It causes its eyes to seemingly glow when a flashlight or other light catches them at night. Technical term is the tapetium lucidum is what that cell is in the back. You know what it is, right? The good old raccoon. I had to pick the cutest pictures I could find, okay? We too have been pestered by them at different times in our life and they've gotten into all kinds of things. You know, in Germany, it is literally called the wash bear. <laughs> you say, why? Because typically raccoons will dip its food into water. Some believe that it's to clean the mud and other debris off of it, but a more scientific explanation may be that it lacks salivary glands in its mouth. And so anything that has a low moisture content, in order for it to eat it and swallow it and things, it will dip it in the water to kind of uh, put water on it. 
Now, a good question that comes up sometimes is a raccoon a match for a dog? Well, it will try to avoid a, a fight or whatever the case may be, but if forced to fight, raccoons, they love to head for the water where they have a decided advantage because they're good swimmers. If a dog follows a coon into the water, the raccoon will uh, sometimes uh, lure it into deep water where it will suddenly try to climb on the back of the dog's, on the back, of the dog's back and tries to force the dog's head underwater, attempting to drown it. And so, boy, very intelligent little guy, isn't he? And uh, his attempt to do so. And that inquisitive nature, that curiosity, sometimes gets it into trouble. Maybe we should say all the time gets it into trouble, right? Because it likes to up in uh, trash cans. Climb into trash cans, as you see here. Uh, it can open. Farmers, boy, uh, some of you may have had to uh, fight with the coons. They can undo latches on chicken cages and things like that and get into it. Uh, it opens latches on door. It can even unscrew jar covers, remove corks from bottles, even has been known to turn doorknobs uh, to open doors. And it looks into everything and gives it a taste for good measure. Is this edible? Okay, kind of like a toddler sometimes, amen? Is this edible? Just trying it out. And boy, we had at one time, we were li- living at a duplex, and we had a, then a small duplex, and we had to put a bunch of stuff in a storage thing, and I thought for sure nothing could get in there. We went in there one day, and there was coon tracks everywhere. They'd open Tupperware containers and large plastic containers. They'd gotten into containers in the containers. Like, man, these coons are pests, yes, and uh, deserve to die, yes. Uh, but pretty ingenious little things and intelligent, and boy, they can work their fingers and things uh, quite amazingly. It does so by obviously using its forepaws, which are equipped with, equipped with dexterous fingers, which it uses much like you and I use our own hands. One thing we can say about this cute masked bandit, it does show initiative by exploring its world to find new things. And in spite of the trouble it causes, it can be a cute animal. So shows us and demonstrates, you know what, you need some uh, curiosity, okay? Obviously for the coon, it takes it too far sometimes. But inquisitiveness, initiative, it takes a little bit of looking into things. And, and for us as humans, it's true. Secondly, what's the example from scriptures? Do you remember a man in the Old Testament? He was uh, just kind of doing his own thing. He was going about his own personal responsibilities, taking care of his own business, if we could put it that way, even though he was a captive in a foreign land. Well, there were some friends who came along, and in fact, one of them, we believe, could have been his brother, uh, as the scripture will tell us, and he, he was concerned. He asked them about the hometown. How, how are things going back, going back home? How are things playing out? And as he asked them, he, he, got a, um, he, he got a response that was not what he was looking for. It wasn't good. But l- let me point out something first. Notice that he showed some initiative. He, he showed some care in, in asking the question, hey, what's going on back home? What's happening back in our hometown? They told him that the people back there were uh, facing a difficult time. In fact, they described it as great affliction. They said they were being reproached. Furthermore, the, the walls of the city were broken down. The gates were burning. It wasn't the, the news that he wanted to hear. And in that moment, what must happen to develop initiative in each of our hearts and lives happened to this man. Some of you may have guessed it already. His name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah. We'll 
we'll talk and see what Nehemiah is, but let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, if you will, with me right now. Turn to Nehemiah chapter number 1. Well, let's look at verses 4 and following, and it describes for you and I, here is Nehemiah's response when he hears this terrible news, okay? And we, we won't take the time, but in those previous verses, we, we see the response that he heard, how Jerusalem also is broken down, they said, in addition to those gates uh, burning with fire. And then we come to verse 4. Here's his response. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Okay, well listen, this is Nehemiah's initiative moment, if I could put it that way. Okay, he hears what's going on. Literally, he sees what's going on by what he heard. And here is, just like, uh, how does the song say? Dirty dishes in the sink. Okay, noticing, wait a minute, there's something, hey, hey, candy wrappers everywhere. This is Nehemiah's moment, young people, where he sees something's going on. Something's not right, and boy, it affects his heart. That's literally what we read here. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, and then he prayed to the God of heaven. Verse 5, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Verse seven, we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments without commandest thy servant Moses. Verse eight, remember I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. Verse 9, But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them uh, from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are the servants, thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by the great power and by thy strong hand. Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer, uh, excuse me, and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, speaking of the king, for I was the king's cup bearer. Okay? We read this news really touched his heart. It, it caught his attention and it, it directed his focus. Now listen, I want to give you three things about initiative that are crucial, young people. Listen carefully. Number one is this. Initiative starts with allowing things to touch our heart and gain our attention. Initiative starts with allowing things to touch our heart and gain our attention. I've got to take notice of it. I've got to see it. Nehemiah was moved to action because his heart was touched by the Israelites, the remnant, what they were facing in Jerusalem. It, it got his attention, but also understand this. It wouldn't have if he wasn't looking to see what was going on. It was he who went to his brother and his friends. You see that in, in verse number two, that Hanai, I, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. You know what initiative takes is you and me saying, okay, I, I'm going to find out about that. Oh, I see that. Oh, I, I noticed that. That needs to be done. Oh, that we're open to it. Our eyes are open to see things that need to be done. For Nehemiah, he asked his brother what was transpiring back home. He allowed it to prick his heart. He gave his attention to it. Certainly, Nehemiah would, would join uh, Jeremiah what he said in Lamentations 3.51. Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. 
you see what he says? My, I mean, what I see for, for Nehemiah. Now, he didn't lay eyes on Jerusalem, but can I tell you, from what he heard, he saw what was going on in Jerusalem. He understood what was transpiring back there, and boy, it affected him. It affected his heart. It moved him. I, I've got to do something. Can I just put it simply this way? I think many of us lack initiative in one thing or another because our eye doesn't affect our heart. We may see a need, but it doesn't affect us. Furthermore, I think here's the, another problem before that. A lot of times we don't have our eyes open to see needs. Hey, young people, listen to me. Eyeballs this way. If I can have every little one look this way. Do you see when something needs to be picked up at home? Trash on the floor, toys somewhere. Maybe a trash can is full or whatever the case may be. Do you see things at home that need to be in? Are your eyes open to it? Or let's be honest, your eyes are kind of closed to it. That's just mom and dad's job. That's only my job if, if they give me the chore to do. That's lacking initiative. See, Nehemiah, boy, he, he first of all said, hey, what's going on back there? His eyes were open, and it affected his heart. And, boy, he had a desire. Uh, he allowed it to touch his heart and gain his attention. See, either we don't even see a need, or uh, we have our eyes trained and developed, we see the need, or we see something that needs to be done, but it doesn't reach our heart to move us into action. Those dirty dishes in the sink, do you simply add to it or do you try to do something about it? Those candy wrappers on the floor at home and at church and other places, yeah, do you just walk by and maybe add yours to it or do you just know, I can't believe somebody did that and you walked on? Do you show initiative and just say, hey, there's a need that needs to be met? There's something that needs to be done, and, and I'm going to show initiative to try to meet it. The cleaning up of something around the house that needs to be seen as a need. Here's something else. Did you catch what even Patch the Pirate put in the song and what even transpired here in Nehemiah? You know what we don't read? No, don't miss this. Young person, get it. Nehemiah didn't wait for God to tell him to go do something. He didn't wait to be asked. See, here's the difference. Yeah, you, you may be a great helper, and you may be somebody who does something, and mom and dad or somebody even at church ask you, hey, would you take care of this? Would you do this? Pastor Tony asks a teenager, hey, can you clean that up? Or Pastor Henry or Pastor Aaron maybe, or a coach or something, hey, can you go take care of that? And, and boy, you're doing it, and that's wonderful. You ought to have a heart that wants to do it. But we want to take it a step further and say, you know what? I'm going to see a need before I ask. I'm going to see something that needs to be done. I, I'm going to look around and have my eyes open. and I'm going to allow my heart to be touched. And man, I'm thankful for Fostoria Baptist Church. Young people, can I encourage you? We, are, we have a church full, full of older people who see needs around this building to just take care of it. They show initiative. They look and say, oh, that needs to be done. Boy, that has to be done. I'm going to take care. That's a great thing to see a need and say, boy, I'm going, to, I'm going to show some initiative and just take care of it without even being asked by God or others at times. See, initiative sees the need. It acts because why? It allows something to affect its heart. Its attention is caught by something. You see, number two also, initiative uh, starts with allowing things to touch our heart and gain our attention. But number two, initiative should be guided and empowered from above. Guided and empowered from above. 
Okay? God wants us to see a need. He wants us to meet it, but he also wants us to rely on him. And the reality is this, whether it's God's written word that guides us or through prayer the Holy Spirit speaks to us, let your initiative be bathed in prayer. I like to put it this way. Where does that start? It asks God, we should ask God to open our eyes to needs around us. That's where initiative starts, relying on God and being empowered and guided. God, help me to see things. Father, help me to see things that I need to do, whether at home or at church, at school, at the workplace. Lord, would you just open my eyes to see things, a need that maybe I can meet, that you could use me to meet in that way. Sometimes the prayer is simply this, Lord, expand my interests. Help me to delve into other interests, kind of touch my heart with those things. Then I like how Nehemiah asked for it. Did you catch it? At the end of the chapter 1, he literally is asking God for uh, grace. He said, God, be attentive to my prayer. Literally, you know what he's saying? Help me, God. Give me grace and mercy in the sight of the king. See, I think already, now don't miss this, I think already that Nehemiah was coming up with a plan in his mind, okay? He saw the need. He understood. His heart was touched. He got his attention, but now he's relying on God. God, I have a plan, but I don't want to do this if you're not behind it, if you're not in it. And here's another part of initiative. I don't have it on a slide, but you know what else initiative does? It uses the resources that one has whether it be the body that god has given us and whether whatever it may be that position that god has given us we'll see this in nehemiah in a moment he says i'm the cupbearer we'll talk about that and boy he used the resources that he had to meet the need that had gripped his heart my friend the reality is sometimes we don't do that we we lack initiative because we don't see the resources god has already given us to do great things to meet a need that he has put in front of us in one way or the other. Yet in that, you know what he did? God, prosper me in the sight of the king. Lord, here's the plan. Here's what I'm thanking you. Would you be attentive to my prayer? Would you give me grace and mercy in the sight of the king? Would you prosper me in the initiative that I'm about to embark in? Then in chapter 2, here's a great truth. He, he just simply trusts God to work it out as God would choose. So we come to chapter 2, we'll read it in a moment, but uh, he's doing his business as the cupbearer, Nehemiah is, and this is, a, uh, this is a great part of the story, right? He's doing his job, he's serving the king, and the king looks on him, and he just catches against him, and you can just imagine, the king kind of looks at him twice, and maybe he did a couple things, and the king's just kind of watching him, he's looking at him, he's, he notices there's something different about him. So he watches, and he notices that he's not coughing, he, he notices that he's not grabbing his stomach like he's sick. In fact, the Bible says that the king says, I, I know you're not sick. And he notices his sad countenance, okay? And the king says to Nehemiah, why so glum, chum? That's not really what he said, but I just put that in the, okay? Why so glum, chum? What's wrong with you? What's going on, Nehemiah? I can tell you're not sick. I, I can tell something is bothering. Now listen to me, okay? You want to tell, can I tell you how much that this had burdened his heart? His his eye, in other words, what he saw by what he heard, not only affected his heart, but it affected his countenance. Yeah, I, I, I've got to take care of this. I've got to do something to meet this need. And boy, it affected him in a wonderful way. His saddened countenance revealed a heart that was broken over what was happening in Jerusalem. Oh, that you and I would be moved to initiative because our heart is touched. At times broken over things. And boy, I can do that. I want to do that for the Lord. I want to take care of that. I want to do that for mom and dad. I want to do that for my teacher at the workplace. I want to do that for my employer. 
Whatever the case may be, just say, hey, my heart is touched by that. Notice chapter 2. Notice, if you will, look at verses 1 and following. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and I gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? Very perceptive king. This is nothing else. Notice this, but sorrow of heart. Man, Nehemiah's heart was just moved and, and touched to such a degree that it was obvious. Then Nehemiah says, then I was very sore afraid. Yeah, you don't want to make a misstep in front of the king, amen? And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why would not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, now get this, for what dost thou make request? And I love this statement. He pauses. So I prayed to the God of heaven. See, we said what? Initiative should be guided and empowered from above. And there it is again. He prays to the God of heaven for help and strength. Man, I love that. I love it. Okay, here he is. He's standing in front of the king. He gets this grand opportunity. The king goes, hey, you look pretty sad. And he says, king, why wouldn't I be sad? Here's what's happening back in Jerusalem. The gates are burning. The wall is broken down. And my heart is tugged by it. I, I see the need and I want to do something about it. And the king looks at him and says, what is your request? What, what would you ask? And he's in a great position. And I love that he just didn't spurt out something. I love that he tells us. You know what he did? He looked to God for guidance. He prayed to God, God, help me now. Give me the strength I need in the middle of this meeting of this initiative and trying to do what you've laid on my heart to do. Father, give me strength in the midst of it. I love that, that he prayed. And reality is this. You know what kills? Don't miss this. You know what kills initiative so often in our hearts and minds? The simple thought that I can't do it. Why should I even try? Uh, the thought that I don't think I could do that. I'm not familiar with that. I've never done that before. And reality is, you know what Nehemiah is showing us? Because listen, Nehemiah is about to embark on something that he has no idea what he's doing. You ever been there? He has no idea what he's doing, and yet he's going to trust God and God lean on God, depend upon God to help him fulfill what has been laid on his heart and showing initiative to do something about it. Recognizing Meeting a need before he's even asked. No one asked Nehemiah to step up. No one laid it on his heart per se, other than maybe God in a sense kind of leading him and directing him along the way. But Nehemiah, his heart was touched to see this great need. And here is where your initiative can gain strength from above. Pray and ask God for help all along the way. You know what Nehemiah demonstrates, if we could just simplify it? He says, number first, first God... Before I even start, I'm going to pray to you. Open my eyes. Help me to see things. We ought to do the similar thing. Then secondarily, as we show initiative and we act upon trying to meet a need in some way, we pray for help and strength from God above. As we go about that business, as we go about meeting that need, trying to do our best to meet it. Then last but not least, number three, initiative requires an openness to do what needs to be done regardless of familiarity or comfortability. You see, this is where our description of uh, initiative really comes to play in our story. Remember what it said? It is expanding my world by exploring new areas of interest. 
Look again at chapter 1 at the end of verse 11. We saw this, and he identifies himself. He says, here's my job. Here's my vocation. Here is who I am. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. Okay, what was that? Well, I like how one commentary described it as he was a cupbearer. Notice what it says. Historically, a cupbearer was a high-ranking official in charge of serving the king. It would not surprise us from our stories of Daniel and Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael that Nehemiah may have reached this kind of position. Many of the Jews did in different ways. It was primarily the responsibility of a cupbearer to serve the wine to the royal table. Since kings were concerned about plots to poison them, cupbearers had to guard the cup carefully and would sometimes taste the drink before serving it to, uh, before serving it to ensure that it was safe. Due to the responsibilities of the position, a cupbearer had to be trustworthy and loyal. It's obvious from the interaction here, Artaxerxes trusted Nehemiah. He lets him just go away for a period of time with the the idea that he'll be coming back. A cupbearer often had the king's confidence and sometimes was able to exert influence in the royal court. Okay, so this is what Nehemiah is. He, he's used to being in the palace and, and really comfortable position, maybe in a sense, some fear because, boy, uh, if someone was trying to poison the king, the king probably wouldn't die. He would, all right? So a little pressure to the position, but he was used to the palace. This was his job. This is his comfort zone in a sense, if we could do it that way. This is what was familiar to him. Look at chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6. Here's the response that Nehemiah gives to the king. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a cupbearer. About all you know to hold is not a hammer, it's a cup. That I may build it. Notice verse 6. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. And if we had time to read through it, we realize that he does exactly that. He goes to Jerusalem. He meets with the people there, and this is what he says. Don't miss it. Verses 17 and 18. Look ahead. Then I said unto them, he gathered the rulers and those who were working on the wall and doing the work. Verse 17 of chapter 2. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. And I love verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me. As also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Can I just put it simply with the story of Nehemiah is amazing. He goes from being a cupbearer in the palace to being a builder and really the lead contractor in the great undertaking of restoring Jerusalem. My friend, that takes initiative. He didn't balk. You know who I can't help but thinking of? In fact, we hear his name in chapter number one. What about Moses? At times, Moses certainly lacked initiative. Sometimes, Moses seemed to have to be uh, brought into it, dragged, kicking and screaming. Moses, I want you to go talk for me to the Israelites and to Egypt. No, 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 I can't talk. I, I, I can't do that. He can do that. But here is Nehemiah, and boy, he shows some initiative in embracing the need that he sees. He didn't balk. He didn't pass on it because he has never done it before. And listen to this, young people. Listen to this. He allowed God to take him out of his comfort zone. Did you catch that? 
Young person, he allowed him, he allowed God to say, okay, God, you guide and direct. This is what has been laid on my heart. This is where I'm going to show some initiative. All right, God, you take it from here. You guide and direct. And he allowed him to have a word with the king. And he says, what is your request? He prays to God. And probably before he knows it, you know what he's saying? King, let me go. I'm going to go build it. He's like, what? Did I just say I'm going to go build it? Did I just say that? Wait a minute. Yeah, you can imagine his own mind. What? I'm going to do what? <laughs> And God had led him to say, hey, this is how it's going to happen. And yet he embraced it. He went out of his comfort zone. He was willing to allow God to expand his horizons by taking initiative. And my goodness, if we had time, we could read of the great work that transpired. How God used him. Showing a little initiative. Wait a minute, he's a cupbearer. Yeah, isn't it great that a person, any person, shows little initiative, follows God, the great things that God can do. And my friend, that can be little things at home, at school, at the workplace, at church. God can use you. A miracle building project ensued. It was led by a cupbearer from the palace of Artaxerxes. I mean this in all sincerity. I fear we sometimes lack initiative because of our unwillingness to step outside of our comfort zone. We're unwilling. We, we get in our rut. We get in our comfort zone for so much time. And, and young people, it's so easy at a young age to get into your rut. Uh, maybe your comfort zone is only what I feel like doing, only what I want to do, only, only those things that appeal to me. Then I'll do it. Can I tell you, it's time for you to show a little initiative. Allow God to get you outside your comfort zone. Pray that he'd open your eyes to see needs, to expand your world by looking at different interests and meeting different needs. Allow him to work in your heart and life. Remember, as we get back and close, remember, what is initiative? It's recognizing and doing what needs to be done before I'm asked to do it. Can I just ask a simple question? Do you show initiative at home, school, at work, church? Hey, young people, this week, boy, it'd be a pretty cool thing if at home you showed a lot of initiative. Come by the end of the week, mom and dad's like, man, we hardly had to tell them to do anything. They just showed initiative. Mom and dad walk into your, your bedroom tomorrow morning, and you've made your bed without being told. Woo-hoo-hoo. Initiative, that's the way to make mom joyful every Monday. Right? I mean, just showing a little initiative, just doing some things, seeing around the house. Hey, do I show initiative? Do I recognize? Do I do what needs to be done? It seems so simple, but can I tell you, sometimes we miss the opportunity to meet a need because don't, we don't recognize it. And we don't do what needs to be done even before we're asked to do it. So do you show initiative? Look for ways this way to show, to show initiative. Hey, adults, let's look for ways to show initiative here at church, at work, at home, whatever the case may be. Show a little initiative. Secondly, do you lack in initiative because you fail to expand your world by exploring new areas of interest or need? Okay. Hey, young people, can I just give you a personal frustration? Personal frustration. So everybody look up this way. Little ones, give me your eyeballs. Okay. If you will, just for a moment. Here's a personal frustration that I have experienced as a parent, as a youth pastor, as a senior pastor, and any other role that I've had. I have asked a young person sometimes, hey, could you pick that up for me? Well, I didn't put it there. Woo! Boy, that just rubbed me wrong. Moms and dads, how many does that? No, we won't do that. 
you just pick that up? Could, could you just pick that up? Could you just? Listen, okay? Allow God to expand your world, as they say, by exploring newer areas of interest and need. If mom and dad show you an area of need, jump on it. Meet the need. If Pastor Tony, Pastor Aaron, or, or someone else in the church comes to you and says, hey, I have a need here. Hey, I need you to work in junior church. I, I need you to do this. I, I, would you just expand? Don't say, oh, no, 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 I've never done that before. I, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Adults, <laughs> you and I too. I don't feel comfortable. I don't think I could do that. Would you just pray about it? Because here's what I know. Sometimes God wants you and I to pray about it so he can turn our no into yes. Show a little initiative. Like Nehemiah prayed to his God, you and I can allow God to expand our world by exploring new areas of interest and need. May I just tell you right now, your home would be so much better if everyone showed a little bit more initiative. Your school would be so much, your workplace would be so much better if everyone showed a little bit more of initiative. Your church would prosper greatly if everyone showed a little bit more of initiative. And where does it start? It starts with you. Oh, there may be a little one here. There may be even an adult here saying, you know what? I'm just nothing. I'm incapable. I'm insignificant. But can I just tell you and leave you with this? God can use a cupbearer to build a great city again. Don't you think he could use you to meet a need? And all it takes, all it takes is a little initiative. A little initiative, a little willingness, a little openness to have your eyes. God touch your heart and then leaning on him, and then being willing for God to take you outside your comfort zone. How is it for you tonight, Christian? Father, we thank you for your word. I'm grateful for the challenge that we have seen from the life of Nehemiah, and Father, even illustration from nature. And Father, we we recognize a great need today for for people of all ages who show initiative. Uh, Lord, who, who do things and see a need before they're even asked to meet that need. Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us to do what we've talked about even tonight. May we show initiative at home. May we show initiative in the workplace or at school. May we show initiative in church and ministries. Father, may we allow you to open our eyes. May we ask you to open our eyes on a daily basis to see a need. Maybe it's just in encouraging someone else, ministering to someone else. May, Father, we show just some initiative. May we allow you to lead us and guide us and empower us to fulfill what you lay on our heart. Lord, I'm grateful that you are a God who showed the initiative in sending Jesus Christ to come die on a cross. Now, Father, you demonstrated it as good as anyone. When we didn't deserve it, when, when certainly, uh, Father, we had no way of saving ourselves, you met our greatest need. Thank you for recognizing it. Thank you for meeting it. And thank you for demonstrating even initiative to us. Lord, may this week we do so likewise. Be with our young people here. Father, they're growing up in a world in which uh, so many don't think for themselves. So many have to have everything handed to them and, and have to be coddled. And Father, I pray that our young people would grow up showing initiative and serving you and pleasing you and work ethic and things in the world. May they shine brightly. May they be able to show that they live for you. And so they follow your word and they do exactly what you would have them to do. And Lord, may that be a shining testimony to their employers. May that be a shining testimony to those that they cross paths with. And Lord, even the adults here, I pray this week that uh, even by how we work and Father, the initiative we show, may we show that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May it be obvious to others. May it give us opportunities to witness to them, to testify them of the goodness of God. 
Father, we are thankful today that as we close this Sunday and the services, Lord, we are grateful that we can agree with the psalmist. So taste and see that the Lord is good. May we trust in you this week and may we find that happiness that is only found in making you Lord of our lives. And today, this week, Father, I pray we show some initiative in every way you make us, make us aware of. May we meet needs today, this week, even without being asked. Father, we love you so very much. Be with each of us as we go from this place. May you bring us back safely on Wednesday. May we have a great week of living for you. We love you. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. You'll join me in standing, and uh, we'll close here with a song of dismissal in just a moment.